Hey, what's up? And thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Business Life and Coffee Show. This week, we wanted to do something a little different. Uh, everyone is sharing a ton of information around the coronavirus. And if you know, and if you've been a longtime listener to the show, uh, we actually covered some tips on how to protect yourself and stay safe from a health and a public health perspective. However, uh, there has been a need for a lot of companies to figure out what do we do for teleworking? What do we do for remote leave? What do we do for um, employees that need to travel and still wanna travel? And what can we say and do? So earlier we did a webinar that's now course on our website, courses.jumpstart-hr.com. And we wanted to share the information that we covered on that webinar with you for free so that you can be better informed on how best to protect yourself in this time. Not only protect yourself as an employee or a boss, but to protect your company, protect your business. And so we've got uh, the extent of the podcast will be covering various aspects of coronavirus protection. Um, there won't be a mama, I made it. There won't be a uh, while you were working. This whole thing will be a uh, combination, I guess, of while you were working and coffee shop Q&A. So after this quick commercial break, we'll jump right into the webinar. So thanks for rocking with us. We'll have something more, uh, less serious next week, but for now, just wanna honor the circumstances that we're in, and if this is helpful, share it with members of your team. All right. Jumpstart HR is changing the face of the HR industry with their outsourcing, project consulting, and phone support. Enabling startups and small businesses to outsource their HR needs from anywhere in the U.S., from new business and legal compliance to employee performance management and outplacement services. Within the business community, Jumpstart HR is a trusted and reliable service. In fact, companies like Forbes, HR.com, and Inc. Magazine have all featured Jumpstart HR for their easy-to-use, hourly, monthly, and on-call support that is tailored specifically to each client's needs. This saves clients like you a lot of time and money. To learn more, schedule your free HR evaluation today at jumpstart-hr.com slash contact. What we're doing with this segment here is we're going into, this is basically Emily and I talking shop. Uh, if you have questions, we're going to answer them at the end of the, of the webinar. However, we wanted to present some scenarios that you um, may encounter. And so we want you to be prepared as if you were in our war room, so to speak. So the first uh, scenario is, what if an employee wants to take time off to stay at home due to fear of the virus? And when we say fear of the virus, that means that they haven't officially gotten the virus yet. It may be in their, in their neighborhood or in their area, but they just have a sense of, oh, I wanna, I wanna stay at home. Um, I don't wanna go into public setting. There's a term I'm hearing a lot, social distancing. They want to distance themselves from large populations. And we're even seeing that large companies are telling their employees to, to stay at home, but stay at home and work. And so one of the things you want to do, you, you, you want to make sure that you have the IT infrastructure that's in place to support. If it's a remote work situation, make sure that you have the IT infrastructure in place. Make sure that you, the employee knows if they, and, and designates if it's going to be 
a work from home situation or a remote work situation, or if they're actually taking leave. And so making sure it's very clear what the employee's intentions are so that you can categorize it appropriately and have the right level of expectation. Emily, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? You know, it, it, it very much is the understanding the definition. Is it out of fear and they want to be off work? Or is it, I'm just fearful of getting the virus and I want to work, but I don't want to be around other people and understanding how your company can handle this. So, and, and will it? So, you know, remote work guidelines are so important and understanding what's expected. A lot of times, and and we see it all the time where where people allow employees to work from home, but there's no guidelines. So what one person does is seen one way and then someone else does it a little different and it creates a lot of animosity and and struggle with employees showing their contribution because if it's never outlined that you need to be on on your computer, on your phone from eight to five and the employee interpret work from home, like just work, just get your work done. And it doesn't matter what hours. But if if you expect them to be in the same capacity as they would in the office, except there's just no commute, which is typically what a, you know, a lot of remote work is, is you're still eight to five or whatever your hours are. It's just, you don't have to commute. You need to say that. So they're expected to be in the meetings, you know, through phone lines or through video. Um, They're expected to still handle everything they normally would. They just didn't have to drive to work or ride the bus to work that day. But but really understanding what is being asked. Don't assume that they're asking to work from home, but don't assume they're just trying to be off work either. So it's really balancing that what is the underlying cause and what is the underlying request. And another thing, Emily, this makes me think of is employees that have actual ADA accommodations. And for mm-hmm. example, we have a employer that we work with and one of the employees has anxiety. And so they are in a situation where they only come into the office one day a week. Uh, However, you could imagine that with uh, all the news of of the craziness that's surrounding the coronavirus, it could have a potential to trigger a person with anxiety or depression or uh, any other sort of ADA accommodating type of mental health state. And so we even have to think about our employees that have mental or physical protections under the ADA and think about what is it like not only to get to work, but what is it like commuting into work? What is it like being at work? And what is what is it like being at home? And so when we think about the policies that we want to create and the way that we enforce those policies, we have to keep into account those who are differently able and have um, various ADA protections. So that is something that is important as well. One, one, one other thing to think about is let's say ADA doesn't play, in, play a part in this scenario and it's a random, random Sally. She's, you know, nothing protected. It's just she was scared. Whatever you're going to allow for her, you need to be able or willing to allow to others. So you don't want to get into a situation of special treatment or making, you know, bending the rules for one and then someone else come and you not do it for them. So it really is a bigger picture you have to think about when you start accommodating these smaller little requests without any verification or any validity to not that fear isn't valid, but it's just, if there's no extenuating circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. Another reason to, to bounce, bounce ideas off the wall, not bounce them off the wall, but bounce them with professionals who can give you some good, some good guidance. Uh, all right. 
let's let's peel this onion back a little bit more. So what if an employee has children or child that attends a school where someone may have tested positive or that has sent them home out of a precaution or state of emergency? Uh, Emily mentioned earlier about the school in Georgia where the teacher tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing reports of individual schools shutting down, not so much school systems, but individual schools shutting down out of precaution. And we're seeing colleges say, hey, uh, go on spring break and don't come back. Or um, schools like Stanford and Columbia and, and Harvard and Amherst College are saying, hey, we're converting to an online only format. So if an employee has a child that attends a school where someone may have tested positive or that sends them home out of precaution or state of emergency, what would Emily do? What are your thoughts there, Emily? Oh boy, that would be a lot to like figure out quickly, right? In the summer, we have camps for our kids. We have different things to keep them busy and keep us at work. But when it's something like this, there's a lot to look at because all of a sudden, the things that keep our kids busy during summer or off school times are gone. And so to work from home, you can't be a primary caregiver because you just, you can't. Kids require a lot, as we all know. Um, but is it, is it companies are going to let people bring their kids to work or, or work from home and balance that kids are home? Um, do, do parents have to stop working altogether? And that's a double-edged sword because they work for a reason. We're working to pay the bills and we have to stop working because we got to take care of kids because school's out or to keep them in their online class because I could just imagine my sixth and eighth grader going online school. That just, they like their interaction, right? So then trying to keep them focused on, on their school and not their video games because online is online, right? How am I going to know unless I'm watching? Um, or do you end up having to hire someone to come into your home to help help with online school or tutoring or being a nanny, which then costs you more money and you're in this balance. It's overwhelming as a parent to figure out what am I going to do. Um, in Nashville this last week, there, there was a 43-year-old woman who had no connection to the public school system and they shut down schools on a Friday and a Monday just to clean them. It's really, it's coming. You know, there's going to be a time when, you know, we already close schools for flu, usually in the winter for a few days, but it, I think this is going to be a bigger situation that companies need to look at now on how are they going to, to handle it and communicating that is going to be important so that employees can prepare. If you have to take time off for X, is it going to be paid? Is it not going to be paid? So that people can prepare now. Yeah. And as an employer, as a people leader, you have to remember that this is just one moment in time and your employees are going to be staying at your organization after this. And the way that you approach this and the level of uh, sensitivity and understanding and empathy around the whole employee uh, can play a role in their uh, employee engagement and their employee experience. It's important to make sure that you're taking the steps necessary to ensure that you are still a enjoyable and preferred place to work because not getting this right or not attempting to get this right can have implications even beyond when this uh, scenario rolls away. The next thing that we're going to talk about is another scenario that you may face, which is what happens if an employee runs out of leave while they're still sick. So in this scenario, um, you would want to take a look at your leave and your leave policies to determine if you can set up a, a leave sharing 
or if there's a, a lead bank that people can contribute to, um, how lenient are you going to be with employees that run out of their sick leave? Do they transfer that into PTO? Are there state or city requirements for you to offer a certain amount of leave. Um, another thing that you may want to pay attention to is talking to your brokers and figuring out at what point does the coronavirus illness, um, can an employee qualify for short-term disability or long-term disability? And realize that, hey, that is a tool uh, to your advantage that you can use and a protection that you can use to um, help support an employee's well-being while they may be facing this illness for themselves or for uh, someone that they are a caregiver for. Emily, what, what are some other things that you're thinking with regard to an employee running out of leave? You know, it's, there, there's so much out there. And, you know, one, one, one thing I've heard is don't penalize the employee for being out. And so, you know, especially with the amount of time they're saying the quarantine takes with the 14 days, I've read a lot about people like government and such asking companies not to penalize the employees for taking out because how many employees would try to come back earlier or not be found out and then it then it's a bigger issue so if you take money away is the next person going to tell you and so that is a risk because let's say Sally goes out you don't pay her she talks to the co-workers co-workers now get sick are they going to tell you or are they going to go oh it's allergies and try to fight through it or you know whatever it may be I you know it's all about weighing the risk and the impact and understanding where what's right for your business you know it is a lot to pay everyone out sick I mean to pay everyone 14 days out of sick that's that's tough that that is a huge hit financially but it's it's also weighing the balance of you know long-term employees how are you gonna do it if you're not gonna pay them and, and I understand a lot of times hourly workers of specifically are affected they're not paid if they're not worked and that's but communicate with them now so that they can plan. Planning and being upfront is so much better than it, the rug getting pulled out from under someone who is probably working very much paycheck to paycheck. You know, it's just, it's really important to have this plan in place and know what, and you, you know, you, you also want the plan in place just so that it's consistent. Because if one manager tells one employee this and another manager tells this, another employee that, that's it, that, that can get you into a lot of trouble. And so you really want to lay it out and communicate it with your management staff now so that everyone's on the same page and you're that one united voice. Emily, we have a question here. Uh, an employee requested travel for three weeks to India. What can we do? Do we deny their leave? My, my thoughts on this are because of the gravity of the situation with regard to travel and risk. I'm more inclined to say that you probably shouldn't prove the travel because of the, the risk associated. Um, it's likely that there may be further um, travel bans or travel scrutiny. And if you, if you don't outright, and I'm just thinking this through, but if you don't outright say you can't be approved for the, the travel, uh, at least present the the difficulty that the employee may have when it comes to re-entry into the U.S. and uh, potential screenings that may happen by the time they leave and come back and uh, the, the risk that they face for quarantine. I think approval or, uh, or just not approving leave, this is a time to be more sensitive to, to what could happen and the impact it could have 
on the organization. So I'm, I'm more inclined to ask the employee to hold off on that lead for now. But what do you, what do you think, Emily? I totally agree. Also look at it as like, yes, you know, it's, it's three weeks, but it's very potentially five Let, because airplanes, you know, travel, it's just, it, you're so much more susceptible in an airplane. It's, it, you know, every, everything you, everything you hear everywhere you turn says limit air travel. It just isn't the right time to do that. Now, you know, make, you know, say, you know, let's look at it in a couple months. Let's, but based on recommendations of the CDC, the U S government, everything else, travel is being asked to be delayed if they have extenuating circumstances, you know, you could, you could listen to that, but be careful because again, I really don't care where they're going in terms of this decision. It's air travel and the potential of five weeks out. Yeah. Agreed. And so that would be our answer to that question, but there are some policies that you should be sprucing up, sending out to your employees, making sure that they're, they're pretty solid. So you want to, with regard to your sick leave and and pay time off policies. Make sure that you're reviewing your city, county, and state laws for your company obligation. Because as an example, sick leave laws in San Francisco may be different than those in uh, Los Angeles or San Diego. Each jurisdiction at a city level has the ability to uh, determine the leave policies that that they approve um, in government. And so you wanna make sure that your city county, state laws are all being abided by, and of course, federal. Um, but that's not just for HQ or where your office is. It's where any of your employees work and lay their head at night. So you want to make sure that you are aware of the policies that apply to employees that work remotely, contractors that work remotely. Um, in some instances, contractors are are treated as employees in some states, not all, but it, but in some, um, and in some nuanced cases. I feel like there should be like asterisks after asterisks <laughs> after asterisks there. But uh, just make sure that you have a, a pretty clear view um, and vantage point into your requirement for sick leave and paid time off. Um, you also wanna reevaluate the level of leniency that you have or the leave sharing that you provide during this time because um, this is a, emergency situation. Um, and so with that being said, there are certain leniencies that you can and should um, pay attention to when it comes to leave. We said leave, not not travel, uh, to, to go back from that, uh, that previous question, but just leave that should be taken. Um, also review your employee handbook for what you're communicating to your employees. And the reason why I say review it because of what you're communicating to your employees is because that's likely the first place that your employees are going already to determine the decisions that they should be making over the next few weeks. And so if you are not in a position where you're able to, or if you haven't shared with them the most up-to-date information, then you're going to have to go behind and play catch up and say, well, uh, this is outdated. This information is from 2015. It's from 2009. And it doesn't quite apply now. And so you're going to have to backpedal. So it's important in these next few days to think about what's in your employee handbook and consider updating that information. The other thing that you want to do is, again, we're going to be harping on this a lot throughout the presentation, but your remote work policy and just making sure that you have one, determine if it needs to be modified, and then what expectations or exceptions need to be made. All right, the next area that we're gonna go into is work-related travel. We're seeing that companies are halting non-essential travel because of the risk of bringing the virus into the organization. 
but also for the second bullet, which is the risk of employee quarantine. We're seeing leaders, politicians in in many different industries are self-quarantining. And so the question is, what happens if a, a key employee in your organization or a key manager, a key leader in your organization has to uh, quarantine because of their risk of contact. These are some of the questions that we're having to answer now. And with work-related travel, consider video conferencing in lieu of face-to-face meetings because it is likely not worth the risk of going face-to-face and enduring the journey required um, and potentially uh, exposing your employees and your community to uh, the the coronavirus. So make sure that you are um, taking these sort of steps to pay attention to what's going on out there. Emily, do you have any thoughts on work-related travel? You know, it's it, it's very much evaluating the risk of the travel or the risk, the cost of the risk versus the cost or the lost cost of the travel. So making sure that, okay, if it's going to cost X number of dollars to cancel travel, is it more or less than the potential risk of that person being in quarantine for 14 days? Another thing, Practice video conferencing meetings now if, if it's not something you're you're used to doing, especially if if you could have remote workers during this during these next few months and weeks. Um, practice it now. Everyone stay in your office, stay in your cube, and do your morning meeting through video conference to get everyone in the habit and understand how to, so there's not the login issues and everyone's got it downloaded. You know, practice that now so it's not so awkward and frustrating because a lot of people's struggle with that the remote out of sight out of mind that doesn't mean they're not working they're just it's it's a different way of working so the more especially especially the leaders and the managers that aren't used to that remote work get it get them understanding and experiencing how that video conferencing works so they're more comfortable with it will be huge all right emily can you take the work stoppages what are some of the things that you're seeing and how can businesses prepare to manage potential work stoppages? So this is a huge concern for companies, especially that hands-on labor manufacturing. What do we do if, you know, so many people are out or we end up end up having to stop work? Um, the line can't r- run because there's not enough production workers. How do you handle that? Are they paid? Or are they not paid? Is it is it big enough impact on your, on your business that it's going to require layoffs? And do you keep recruiting during this stage? You know, what do you do? So figure out now how your company's going to handle a work stoppage. If you end up having to send everyone home, especially in positions that are not remote work possibilities. So manufacturing and those hands-on customer facing roles, is it going to be paid? Is it not going to be paid? Layoffs are going to have a lot more impact in terms of what you need to do. If you are an employer of over a hundred people and laying off more than 50, you're going to have to go through the Warren Act process, which is going to require notification. You can't decide today we're shutting down and we're going to lay off 50 people. There is notification and there is a process that takes place over 60 and 90 days. So that is not something to do quickly, but that a layoff is different than a work stoppage. Work stoppage is, okay, we're closed for the next 14 days. So everyone self-quarantine and then we'll be back in two weeks. That's not a layoff. So but figure out now how that's going to happen and then talk to your employees. Tell them, okay, we have a plan in place. We have a response plan. This is what's going to happen. This is the impact. Tell them now so they can start planning and then recruiting. Decide your essential positions that you need. I'm very interested to watch how candidates respond to looking at changing jobs right now. 
as, you know, coming in brand new, you're in your 90-day probation, are they going to be quick to jump jobs to join a new company not knowing that they, you know, they don't have that tenure or that past that 90 days of being more secure, so to speak, and using that PTO time where often there's that waiting period to use it. So, you know, identify the positions you've got to fill now and then maybe wait a little bit to, to continue any further recruiting. Yeah, and even for those employees that may have recently onboarded, like you, you mentioned, Emily, that haven't accrued a sizable amount of leave, just monitor the situation and see if they're impacted by the, the need to take time off. And I consider a, a, a level of leniency there uh, for leave related to this illness or being impacted by this, whether themselves or their family, uh, because it's, it's not their fault they started a new, a new job. So uh, definitely evaluate even the, the employees that have come on board. Now, Emily, you mentioned the WARN Act, and uh, we drill, we're drilling down a little bit on this from a federal level, but also just remember that uh, different states may have their own version of the WARN Act, which could require more, more attention to detail. And so the WARN Act, if, if you are not familiar, it applies to employers of 100 full-time employees or more and is triggered when laying off 50 or more employees at one work site. And it's a protection for employees and it triggers just a series of events that are meant to provide assistance to employees. And so WARN, I believe it stands for uh, Work Adjustment and Retraining Notification. And so it triggers a series of events like making sure that the employees can contact government agencies that will help them with job placement. And if there are skills that they need to learn, get them on the path to uh, reskilling so that they can transition into a new role uh, faster and more effectively. So if that applies to your business, definitely make sure that you're you're paying attention to that. But just in general, when it comes to work stoppages and layoffs, it's important to think through the process and how it might implicate not only the employee that's leaving, but also uh, the employees that are staying because engagement and experience, they matter in the midst of a trial and they also matter uh, on the other side of it. So just make sure that you're paying attention to how well you're treating your team. In the last few moments here, we want to just talk through some uh, preventative measures that you can make by way of cleaning, uh, preparation, uh, sanitation, things of that nature. Uh, the first things we recommend, cleaning work surfaces, making sure that you are wiping down keyboards, mouses, phones, computer screens. Uh, we mentioned pens earlier uh, and maybe have your own personal pen that you that you use throughout the course of the day. Wiping down door handles in and out, you know, the push and the pull. Handles on sinks and faucets. Coffee makers, as Emily mentioned earlier, making sure that people are, are well aware that they need to need to protect themselves. And then also make sure that you're assessing potentially sick employees. We mentioned earlier, and I think we'll touch on it again as well, time permitting, but from a HIPAA standpoint, it is, it is not our place to announce an employee's medical condition or medical state. Uh, but it is important to have measures in place where you're assessing potentially sick employees. Maybe that's asking them a couple questions, giving them the opportunity to take a sick day or work from home, and just having a system in place to do that. And again, best practices, limit travel and avoid shaking hands. You can do, I'm seeing, I'm seeing fist bumps, I'm seeing elbows, I'm seeing... 
just waving, but do something that you can that, do things that will help reduce the impact of the virus uh, or transmission of the virus in your organization. Also, there are short, short-term strategies. Emily, I'll let you take these, but these are some of the things that you should be doing in the next one to 30 days. These are things that you really need to make sure that you're you know, really urge, urge sick, urge them to go home. And again, it's that oxymoron, it's that balance between the attendance policy and the expectations. And then just for, you know, for the welfare of your other employees, when, you know, being on site at a company, when, when people would come into my office and they were sick, I'm like, why are you here? I don't want to get sick, but they were almost at the end of their, their attendance points or, or whatever it was. And so it is a balance. So find that, find that balance or find Find that wiggle room that, that you're able to put in place right now um, consistently, but find that for this event to, you know, to encourage the germs to not come into your workplace. Again, respiratory illnesses, you want to send those home as well. Reiterate coughing and sneezing rules and hand washing and etiquette and all of that, you know, that your your next morning meeting or staff meeting, remind everybody it's 20 seconds of washing your hands and rubbing them and not just running them under water and sneeze and cough in your elbow and, you know, those, those type of things. It's, it's so important. And then routinely disinfecting. I don't know, give everyone... Um, um, some Lysol spray or some Clorox wipes and put them on their desk and you know, little things that you can do to make sure, you know, but don't forget those, the water spigot, you know, so someone takes their cup and touches it. Don't forget those little things we overlook on where those germs linger um, because that is going to be a really fast way that, that, that it does spread. So the, those little things we take for granted it takes time, you know, now might be the time to up your cleaning crew to maybe come in during midday and do a quick wipe down versus just after hours cleaning. It's, it's things to look at right now. Yeah. And with the disinfecting surfaces and having your staff, your cleaning staff come in and touch things up during the day, you're protecting your employees as well as protecting customers and protecting from customers who may mm-hmm. not also practice this level of preparedness. So especially if you have somewhere that people come in, whether it's an office setting or it's a storefront or you, you take appointments in office, you want to make sure that you're mitigating risk all around. All right. Next, we have some longer term strategies. You want to establish an infectious disease outbreak response plan. You're likely now in the thick of things trying to figure out how to respond to what's presented right now. But think about having a plan for the, for the next time, the next potential c- scenario that can happen. Um, also, you want to make sure that you're readying your company's infrastructure for remote workers. We got a question here that came in and said that we are a small company in two locations. Work from home has not been something we have offered in the past. Our employees in one location are considered essential personnel. Work could be done from home, but productivity is the biggest issue in the situation. So when you, when you, I'm going to answer the question, but I'm going to set it up first and Emily can answer as well. But when you think about your infrastructure for remote work, it's everything from your technology, uh, your data protection, your communication, and uh, your productivity. And so we're going to address productivity. We have a slide. It's literally the next, the next slide. But I wanted to tee up that question because it dovetails perfectly into our recommendations for work from home policies. And hopefully this slide will answer your question. So, you know, define the work hours, define the expectations, define the productivity. 
define it as it's your normal job. It's what you do day in and day out sitting at home. Have a dedicated workspace on the kitchen table or at a desk or wherever they choose to sit. But the, the level of work and productivity doesn't change. It's just their surrounding changes. They, they you know, it's, it's no commuting, but, you know, express the nothing changes except your location, your availability. If, if productivity needs to happen between eight and five or two and 10 or whatever it needs to be, communicate that. It's all about setting the expectations. We see time and time again that people do a very vague work from home and then there's hostility among employees because they feel like one person's taking advantage of the situation and another one is picking up everyone's slack when really there's just no guidelines. So no one's really wrong because they've not set the stage. So, you know, talk about what's expected. What's the response time? You're still on your email. You're still chatting in Slack or Teams or whatever your company uses. Um, attending those meetings, whether it's video conference or on a phone call, just because they're not physically in the office doesn't mean that they're not still equally productive. And, you know, 10 years ago, work from home was much harder to come by and really it wasn't near as prevalent as it is today. And it's taken a lot of change and thought on embracing that people really can be productive remotely. So it, it is a mind shift, but it's also putting the structure in place to make sure employees understand it's just a different location. Nothing else changes. Yeah. I'm even seeing um, similar to customer help desks where you have service level agreements for response time. You can even set within your culture uh, response times for specific mediums. So for example, a Slack should be responded to within 30 minutes and email should be responded to within two hours or a phone call should be responded to within an hour. Just making sure that you're setting your employees up for proper expectations will go a long way in uh, addressing issues of productivity because then you're guiding not by uh, subjective standards, but by actual standards of we did we reach out to this person and did they respond? And then also you can even have people submit, um, you know, daily summaries of, of what they what they worked on and what they accomplished at home so that you can also get a sense for the level of uh, productivity that, that is happening. Uh, all right. We're going to march through some of these really quickly. There was a question that came up back to HIPAA. What if an employer creates a request? Notice that the employee advises the organization of suspected exposure. Uh, can they do so voluntarily? Uh, I do believe from an employer standpoint, you can set up a request to be informed if there is a potential for exposure. Uh, the key thing about that is confidentiality. And so making sure that there is a designated person in your organization to handle these requests and that there is a continued chain of confidentiality from the, the notice being received to the level of communication that's sent out to your staff. So 100%, I, I, I even think it's a, a best practice to have your employees indicate if they had a suspect, suspected exposure, but you just want to make sure that you are leaving room for there to be confidentiality. All right, we're going to work. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. You know, the, the, the other thing, you, you can't say Sally's been exposed, but you can say, hey, there is someone who's been exposed 
please continue in all, you know, vigilance to, to keep, keep everything clean, you know, to do your part. So you can't say who, you can't say what department, but I, here we go with, the, with this next slide. It is important to make sure that that general announcement is made so people can take precautions. I want to step back and say one thing on, on the previous question on productivity. There are a lot of programs out there that can screenshot employees' screens and things like that. If, if, you know, that's always something you can put in place to where employees track their time and it takes screenshots if, if you're concerned that they're just going to start a timer and work. There are ways to track websites and things of that nature to validate they're actually working the time that they are. Just that's another point I thought about after the fact. Yeah. So this is our HIPAA slide basically saying that you um, shouldn't reveal who the employee is if there is coronavirus in your organization or if someone has had exposure, uh, there are means to, to do that, uh, to communicate that to your team. And then we just have a few recap slides. I know we're coming to the top of the hour. We want to honor everyone's time, but just make sure that you're washing your hands and preventing life-threatening diseases and uh, saving lives just through washing hands. The first thing I'm going to do when this is over is I'm going to go wash my hands <laughs> just because it's just good practice. Also, you want to make sure that you don't touch your face your mouth, your nose, your eyes, because uh, from my understanding, the coronavirus uh, is transmitted through those uh, coming in contact with the virus and then touching, opening um, in your body, so like your mouth, mouth, your eyes, and wash instead of sanitizing wherever possible. It's so easy to uh, get hand sanitizer and wash your hands and things like that, or wipe your hands around with the hand sanitizer. Let's spend the 20 to 30 seconds to wash your hands. It'll go a long way. Very quickly, be careful not to discriminate against uh, Asian uh, employees of Asian descent. That is extremely important. We're seeing that companies, not companies, but people uh, are bullying or otherwise making uh, individuals of Asian descent feel, or, or they're, they're just bullying them because we know that the uh, coronavirus started in the Wuhan province of China. And so people are unfairly being disadvantaged. They're unfairly um, using that information to discriminate against uh, individuals of Asian descent. Uh, people rejecting Ubers or Lyfts uh, if they see that their driver is of Asian descent. Um, so definitely remind your employees to treat everyone with respect. Consider paying employees rather than requiring PTO or unpaid leave if employees must self-quarantine for 14 days and maybe even get an on-site medical nurse to address flu-like symptoms. Uh, eliminate or reduce business travel and don't scare your employees. It's not helpful, but make sure that you're leading through uh, knowledge, information, and, and guidance. And then these numbers have changed. So by the numbers, it's probably expanded by this point. But there is a duty of care. And so the, the Center for Disease Control says that there's a general duty clause that requires employers to provide employment and a place of employment, which are free from recognized hazards that are causing or likely to cause death or serious physical harm to its employees. So just make sure you're doing your part to protect your employees from any risk that could come into the office. And again, urge sick workers to stay at home, send workers home with respiratory illnesses, reiterate good coughing and sneezing etiquette and hand washing, and routinely disinfect surfaces, uh, establish infectious disease outbreak response plan, ready your company's infrastructure for remote work uh, where possible, 
address the impact of supply chain interruptions and prepare for absenteeism in the workplace. Thank you so much for attending our presentation today. We are going to make this available to you after it's done converting and recording. We'll also send back feedback so you can share your thoughts on this webinar and future topics that you'd like to see us cover over the year. And we wish that your organization is safe and protected and that you have a great and enjoyable rest of your day. Thank you so much and we will be in touch.